Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello everybody, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to this latest ITAM Review Podcast. Now I am joined by some absolute stars today, I have got Mike and Dean from Licensed Fortress, and then we have also got Art and Joel from Beeman and much more. Four absolutely great people, great speakers, uh, lots of content to talk about today, and we will be talking about everyone's favourite subject of 2023, which is Oracle Java. So um, we're, we're going to look at what's happening and what will happen, and to, to kick things off, I will hand over to you, Mike. Sure. So thank you, Rich, for the opportunity. So why Java? Well, on January 23rd of this year, Oracle turned the business world on its head when it significantly changed how you can license Java. It went from the desktop-based or processor-based model to an employee headcount. But Oracle's definition of headcount is very expansive. So let me quote uh, the Oracle documentation. Oracle is defined on the Oracle subscription price list as one, all your full-time, part-time, temporary employees, and two, all of your full-time employees, part-time employees, and temporary employees of your agents, contractors, outsourcers, and consultants that support your business internal operations. Simply put, not only your headcount, but the headcount of everyone you work with and who they work with. This represents a drastic price increase for most customers. Tenfold is not unheard of. It's also a potential minefield of future problems. And frankly, that's what we want to start talking about today. Perfect. Yeah, I think that was a, a very uh, succinct, comprehensive overview. I like that. Um, and you, you touched on quite a few different points there. Um, and I guess... To you know, to to drill down into the changes first of all, you you mentioned there about people that are supporting your environment, and this I think is something which may have been missed by some people. You know, the the user to employee change was was well publicized, but when it comes to people supporting you your company or environment, what exactly do Oracle mean by that? Well, uh, it, it, it just, I think, is a, an initial reaction uh, to what Oracle has done here. Um, go to how they're describing it. The way it found its way into the market as to the change was the so-called, quote-unquote, employee metric. Well, employee, as understood by the vast majority of businesses in America, means something in particular. When you have an employee, it invokes certain employment obligations, employment law. And I dare say most businesses can distinguish between people who they view as their employees and then someone who's uh, they've hired pursuant to a contract, a gig worker, a consultant, whatever. The problem here is that Oracle and this employee metric goes well beyond the conventional thinking and understanding as to who are your employees and to the point that 
Mike made in his prefatory remarks, it expands into a world that I dare say most businesses have no comprehension as to the number of employees of a consultant that you just brought on board and they are part of the metric. Therein lies, I think, the real danger for the businesses today. And, and let me just add to that, Art, because it's not just what you pointed out about the danger of this expansive metric. It's how Oracle puts the burden on the customer. Because there isn't any going back and forth and saying, oh, this is my employee count. And Oracle says, oh, yeah, we agree. This is your employee count. And you kind of come together on that. Oracle says this is the metric. It's on the customers. Uh, it's on the customer to make sure they're complying with it. So you can have customers who go look at that. Uh, normal definition, right? Where it's your full-time employees and they look and they say, oh, we've got, you know, a thousand employees. <clears throat> they go with Oracle, they engage on that number, but they're the ones that are on the hook for not understanding that new metric and understanding how expansive it actually is. So even though they might be engaging on that and, and purchasing a thousand subscriptions for those thousand full-time employees, they're still out of compliance because they haven't, uh, they don't understand that and Oracle isn't helping them uh, on both sides of that absolutely and i think with with that consultant element you know the the thing that i'm wondering is you know how do you define you know, within someone else's business that number you know if you're working with a third party and they've got you know 150 consultants who might work on on your system but you only pay for you know, five or, or something, but it could be any one of those 150, you know, harking back to the old Oracle, you pay for all the calls in the data center just in case kind of thing. Do you have to pay for every consultant just in case they end up on your, um, you know, working on your system? And I, I doubt that that will ever be clarified other than on a case-by-case -case basis, with a customer. I don't know if you've seen anything on, on that side. But Oracle has clarified it, right? Just as uh -huh. I like, I coined the term galaxy pricing. This is galaxy headcount pricing. They're very clear. Everybody that, that you work with clearly, but everybody in that organization, every contractor, everybody affiliated with that organization, everybody else they use, it's galaxy pricing. And you can never really know what that number is. And then what happens when somebody leaves in the middle of the year and is replaced by somebody else? Is that one license or two licenses? Like this is just a major minefield waiting to happen. Well, and at this point, we've limited this conversation to how do you count and who do you count as the agents, contractors, and outsourcers of your uh, 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 of these entities that you work with. But what what is support your internal business operations? Internal business operations has been a keystone of Oracle agreements going back decades, never, ever, ever defined. They've never taken a stance on that that I'm aware of, certainly not a public stance. And so let's even think about that. Pitney Bowes, they do your mailing. Do they support your internal business operations? In some fashion they do. What about a janitorial staff? What about the cleaners? How far out does this go? And again, like everything else we've talked about, the whole point here is to have the edges be murky so that when they can come in later, they can say, oh, well, it was all right there. Back to Dean's point, it was on you to figure it out and come to us. We sold you licenses if it was 
wasn't enough, you should have said something. And I will say there are a lot of companies out there who Oracle came, made a demand, they bought those licenses and are instantly non-compliant because they didn't try to flesh this out. They didn't try to get the answer. They didn't try to get Oracle to commit to a number. And in my, our, our experience thus far, Oracle's not committing. There are a lot of people who I think are walking away from agreements thinking they have a commitment that they're now compliant, but I would put that at about 1% uh, of people are actually compliant after they purchase these licenses for this exact reason. Oracle is not hammering it out with you. They are leaving it murky and leaving their licensees, even the ones who bought licenses, non-compliant. Joel, would that 1% be the customers who engage us or you? Uh, on their behalf <laughs> to, to help with these things? <laughs> there are things that we have done in order to narrow the window of uncertainty. And it's like pulling teeth, but it, it can be done. And we have had some real successes there. And we've talked about the, 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 the burden of proof that you carry, so to speak, or at the very least, a burden um, to show that you are in compliance. But beyond what I'll call the informal burden shifting in the process here with Oracle, we're also dealing with a legal context. And these contracts are viewed under law as part of a commercial context. Uh, in other words, it's not a consumer vendor relationship that you see often with uh, mass products out there. And the law confers a benefit of the doubt on a consumer for his or her lack of sophistication in going into the transaction. Uh, and therefore, under law, the consumer can be protected. These transactions are viewed under law as purely commercial with equal bargaining power by the two commercial entities and therefore under law to the extent that you as part of this commercial uh, transaction did not understand the provision or couldn't do the count pursuant to the terms of the provision uh, by the terms of the law you're going to have liability, culpability, and you're going to have to uh, find a way then to level the playing field, notwithstanding that commercial law context. That's a really good point. And I'm just thinking for our, I should probably make a note, this is obviously based on US law. I would yep. imagine it's similar elsewhere, but um that that's maybe something a follow up from my side to, to try and find out you know is it the same kind of thing in the UK France etc. Um, but I, I would wager the majority of people the first of people in this position are likely to be in the US anyway. I would think. Well, the, the, in the U.S., it's the product of the what's called the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code, and it's been adopted by all 50 states with certain revisions and amendments state by state. But the code itself it also, at least in what I'll call Western Europe, has been adopted in some form or another. In other words, this distinction between a commercial transaction uh, and a consumer transaction uh, in various uh, fashions and forms is also acknowledged in uh, other, I'll call it Western democracies. So it, it, it's a distinction that's pretty pronounced and pretty uh, time honored. But when any vendor approaches you about licensing, the underlying lesson to be learned here is do not move forward without professional advice. 
In fact, you, you really should be engaging a company that really understands the vendor playbook and how they do business. And you should be engaged in a company that has lawyers supporting them that understand the vendor playbook because there's just so many minefields here. I mean, it's bothersome, but you signed the deal with Oracle and four years later, they come back and they audit you again and they point at you because you made the mistake, not them, right? And somebody says, well, they'll never do that. Oh, really? Okay, I guess you'll roll the dice and we'll see what happens. <laughs> but when Oracle stock drops, I'll tell you what, the likelihood of the dice coming up the wrong number for you just increased greatly. Absolutely. And I, and I suppose then for people listening, you know, Java customers, the this is one of those things that you should do ASAP. You know, if your renewal is in two years, you know, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I can't imagine you can start this too early. I, I would agree with that because it really, as Mike said at the top, we've seen this metric change result in 10x increase in costs in there. And so if that's going to happen to you, you want to know that's coming and then start making some business decisions around that. <clears throat> Are you getting enough value out of Java to pay 10 times what you're paying currently? Um, I think if your renewal is next year or after, you should really consider that that renewal will only be available on this new metric. And then you probably want to figure out what are your alternatives uh, in there, because there are other vendors that have uh, lower price points in many cases. There are um, uh, versions of open JDK that might be available. And there's even some newer versions of Java um, that operate under a no fee uh, for a time period license as well. So there's some considerations to be taken in there, but really it is looking forward because otherwise what will happen is It'll be three months around. You'll get that renewal notice. It'll be ten times, and then you're kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. You, you need you need that run up to be able to to make any changes. And I think whatever the changes you make, if if you're trying to negotiate with Oracle, you know, I've spoken to some people in Europe who've had success in negotiating. Kind of let us stay on the old rules one more time. You mm -hmm. know, for for. <clears throat> Um, but I can't imagine that you know that was a a forty five minute phone call and and all was done. You know that's a a lengthy process. Or or to your point, Dean, if you think actually we're going to move off Java, that is uh, no small feat at all. Um, so so would you would you say it's probably you know six months minimum, twelve months minimum to be looking ahead to this? Um. I think I think it's probably twelve months, uh, depending on the size of the organization and the complexity of it, really. Um, because with Java, you've got kind of two sides of it. Um, one side is the the client side, and that tends to be a little bit easier uh, if you have a uh, uh, a reasonable configuration management tool in place. Usually, you can kind of do a rollout of of switching to a different vendor, upgrading to a uh, a different release. Um, something to that effect and test it out and then and then roll that out in, in pretty quick order. The more difficult side is is on the server side and the third-party application side of it in there, where if you want to do that, obviously, if it's a third-party application, you have to work with that vendor to make sure they support whatever one you're switching to. Uh, the good news is that because Oracle made this change in January, uh, it caused a huge uproar in the industry. 
And it's had customers leaning and pressuring those third-party vendors to support alternatives way more than they did previously. So we've seen the support and compatibility matrix for, for Java on a lot of third-party applications grow very quickly uh, in there, which, which increases the number of options that you have. But then even with it is in the place, if you're running a, a critical application or a custom application on it, it's going to take some time to test that out and make sure everything works because you don't want to just roll it out into production and then realize you took down something and all of a sudden your business is completely crippled because you're not processing, um, the application doesn't work, you're not collecting money, whatever the case may be. Right. It's interesting what you said about the third, the sort of support for other alternatives expanding. Um yeah, are Oracle are they playing a dangerous game here? You know, are they potentially going to move so many people off Java that they end up, you know, shooting themselves in the foot? Or, or do we think that they, yes, they'll lose some, but the majority of organisations will end up just paying the extra license fee? I don't know what. Don't know if you've got any feeling for what you think might happen. Uh, always a tough one you know, because I, I feel like Oracle's business practices should have shot themselves in the foot <laughs> for a while <laughs> on, a, on a couple of these different ones that we've talked about, Rich. Um, I, I think what they're looking at is that it's such a bigger pool of potential customers that they're not concerned about the ones moving off, right? I mean, just looking at it, uh, Cloud World was a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think Oracle announced that they have something like 450,000 customers um, uh, not including uh, Cerner, uh, not including Java in there. And so that, that's a pretty sizable chunk right there. And then if you include Java, which has been available for decades now, especially with Oracle uh, acquiring Sun in the aughts and then uh, not doing really anything about it for about 10 years, um, I think that number of potential customers might be another million from the Java proliferation that's still out there. And so I think they're looking at it, if they can even get you know, 10% of those customers to engage on subscriptions, it'll be a net positive for them versus all the customers who decide to, to rip it out and move on something else. And with all the stuff we just talked about, Rich, it's not like it's a free transition either. Um, it takes time and effort. If you go to a third-party vendor for Java, there's probably some costs to that while they're less, but there's also operational costs. Um, your time's diverted. You're doing a new project that you really weren't planning on. So it, it's not a free switch by any means. Right. And by the way, the Oracle's defense here, right? And I hate to be defending Oracle, but I, I, I guess we should. They announced to the world that they were going to monetize Java. And they gave people a long window to go out and license it. And nobody really did. It's true. Right? A vendor has a right to get paid for their software. Nobody disputes that. Now, I would argue, I think that going on a tenfold 20-fold price increase isn't reasonable, and it's certainly not a choice that I think they should have made, but they do have a right to monetize their business and make money on it, and nobody did. And then when we're, we're guessing, when they went and tried to audit people, right, the, the tool of choice for vendors, audit you, they found out Java's hard. It's everywhere. It's not a simple thing to go out of Java. And so they went internally and said, well, how do we do this? How do we monetize this? And they came up with the headcount. Now right. they overreached by all means. This is not reasonable. And I hope that they back away from it. But in their defense, 
They did give us a long time to go out and license it. Nobody did. And now we're all paying the price if we didn't do that, if they come audit us. That's a very interesting point. And, and yeah, I think, you know, it's something across the ITAM and SAM community, you know, problem with software vendors monetizing their product, making money. It's, it's you know, how they go about it and the, the murky edges that, that we mentioned earlier. Um, and I guess it kind of tied in with that. Now, is it, am I right in saying that if you move into Oracle Cloud, the Java pricing is uh, cheaper? Is they, uh, <clears throat> they do have some offerings in there that, that are cheaper, yeah. Um, and they have some offerings where if you move into Oracle Cloud, the Java price is basically buried in the uh, the SaaS offering price, the the other subscription prices that they have in there. So that's definitely true. Right. So so this might be, you know, we've seen from Larry Ellison for for a couple of years now, you know, everything in the earnings calls is about Oracle Cloud and um, and I think, you know, Safra Cats are a very similar message. So it is this maybe a kind of, you know, we'll we'll use, you know, the the left hand to, to help the right hand and it, it's you know, it's going to be, I guess, you know, easier to move into the Oracle Cloud than to, to move to a third party. Um, so from a renewal, you know, contractual perspective, is, is that something that, that customers should be aware of that, you know, when you're renewing or when you're talking to Oracle, looking out for, for terms, conditions and clauses that it looks like you move to the cloud and it's all free? But then actually, you know, in when you get to year two or year four or whenever it might be, you know, free isn't free forever. I, I don't know, you know, Joel and I, I don't know if you've got any any thoughts or you've seen anything from, from other vendors perhaps in, in that kind of area. I mean, one thing to be, that's really hard to wrap your head around is just how draconian this uh, policy is. They have actually said, we have heard them say, one installation triggers everybody. I mean, it's literally there in the definition, but you're hearing them say that. They're like, you can clean it up as much as you want, but if you have one person who downloaded something from the Oracle store and then plopped it on their desktop, it triggers everybody and they're not shy about that they are are, are 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 literal and so you can deal with a lot of your licensees a lot of your clients a lot of people who are like we're working on cleaning up java and the answer is you need to be one it needs to be a hermetically sealed environment where nothing creeps in ever and oracle is watching the store they are monitoring your downloads and they will present those to you and they will pounce so of course you, things can move to the cloud. You can move large workloads to the cloud. There's a lot you can do, but can you ever guarantee that every one of your employees, have you locked their computers down? Are they not gonna plop something down on a work-owned computer? And that is a major shift here when talking about the Galaxy licensing that Mike was before, that was actually contained. Your desktops didn't trigger that. Those were more minor, but they're not minor anymore. Desktop installations trigger the whole kit and caboodle, and Oracle has gone so far as to say this. And so, yes, there are things, but we need to be careful that you're not just making it look better, but it's still a black and white situation. 
And so a lot of these cloud solutions, I think, unless you've got a new company who really can do everything in the cloud, you're always going to have some legacy hybrid environments and Oracle will leverage those, those hybrids, will leverage anything that pops up on a processor or on a desktop and say, no choice. It's an all or nothing situation. End of discussion. A, a word which has suffused our discussion thus far, and I think it's important to just pause and and identify that word is reasonableness. And to be clear, when we talk about the reasonableness of what Oracle has done here with this metric, we are talking about the business reasonableness of it. In other words, are they alienating customers? Are they losing business? And to Mike's point earlier, that may or may not be the case. We, we have to assume uh, a great deal of sophistication on the part of Oracle. Uh, they sat down, presumably, and someone pulled the trigger and made the decision that this would be the new metric. Someone probably also raised the issue of what about business we're going to lose. And they made a business decision to do this, about which we can have a discussion from a business standpoint as to whether it's reasonable. However, from the standpoint of the law and rights and obligations and liabilities of the parties pursuant to a contract, there's nothing under law from what we've seen thus far that can be viewed as unreasonable or legally challengeable on the part of Oracle by what they've done here. Uh, we have thus far identified nothing in the way of a potential claim that can be brought to challenge this under law. And that's why at this point, certainly as Oracle is testing the market, testing the waters, uh, with this metric, it's all the more important, getting back to Mike's earlier point, to level the playing field uh, when you're negotiating, when you're dealing with an audit, whatever, or your own job exposure. And the way that playing field is leveled is by identifying your business interests. And to Dean's earlier points, how important is this to your business? Making those business judgments and then getting the appropriate professionals in the mix, the consultants, the lawyers to level that playing field and then to identify to Oracle how you're going to neg negotiate and the level of leverage that you will apply in these negotiations, which invariably involve uh, your importance to Oracle as a business and as a customer. But the, I guess the other important point, and people always miss this, you have choices. You can choose to go down a third-party alternative for Java. You don't have to stay with Oracle. There's a cost with that, and you might want to look at that cost over a three- to five-year horizon, and you might make a business decision, no, it's cheaper. Let's just negotiate the best deal we can with Oracle. Uh, and then the other thing is for customers that were able to extend the old metrics don't be naive. Don't assume that's going to be the case when you go for your next extension. All you've done is buy yourself time. And you should be now deciding, does it make sense to renew with Oracle, right? And all the pros and cons of that. Or do I go through a third-party choice? Because there are lots of choices out there. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you do have choices. Never forget that. But Mike, I want to drill down on that. And this is actually uh, something I've been wondering, and it's interesting from your more technical, yours and Dean's. 
is it a choice? So you've got a massive company, let's say they've got whatever, 20,000 employees, they're spread all over the world. Is it realistic that they can fend off all commercial versions of Java? New applications, is it too much work? How much work is it to you, you buy a new application, you get a new thing in, well, it's got commercial Java. I mean, is that a realistic goal for a good sized company to say that we are going to keep the barbarians away from the gate? They are not going to get commercial Java in, or is that its own Sisyphusian task? Is it never going to happen? Is it too much to ask, at least in the next five or 10 years? Well, so I think, Joel, I think the key point on that is to, to it's not to minimize what the task is, but it's to look at what the cost of that is. Because if you're talking about a company that has 100,000 employees, quote unquote, you might be looking at upwards of five, 10 million a year. I mean, there's no list price for anything over $50,000. They get to kind of make it up. Obviously, it's not going to be more than what the price is for under 50,000. But you multiply that out, it adds up very quickly. Now, Oracle discounts, but uh, in there, if you're looking at you know $5 million a year, that's a pretty good budget to be able to fight off uh, these scenarios and put in some tools and, and processes in place to try and uh, barricade the fort uh, quite a bit. So it, it's not an easy task by any means, but I, I think for a lot of customers, a lot of companies, uh, the, the cost of it makes it worthwhile to, to, to at least try. And then what are, are there applications, third-party applications that cannot run with anything other than Oracle, Java, SE, 8.2, and beyond? Or are those becoming increasingly vanishing? They're becoming increasingly vanishing. I mean, I think the minute Oracle bought Sun, um, it people started to move away from Java, right? It was kind of the premier um, application platform for a while in there. Uh, performance was troubling, a bunch of other technical things came into play. Uh, and so it just there was a natural progression away from it. I think the Oracle acquisition helped with that. In general, you don't see it before as much as you did before. You used to always need to have Java on your desktop just to load web pages and run applets and stuff. That's no longer the case. I can't think of a, a place that actually needs that anymore. Um, so my guess is that it, it's, it's very, very infrequent where you actually need um, this version. Um, if you do, it's probably, it could potentially just be from Oracle itself to run some of their applications, in which case that doesn't require a separate uh, subscription in there. Um, and again, it's just kind of like catch vendors catching up. So some of the smaller vendors are now increasing that support and compatibility matrix to allow for other ones officially in there. It puts a burden on them to, to test it um, in there. But I, I think the actual cases where you have no alternatives is, is probably few and far between. Well, and I do want to underscore because we get a lot of questions on that about um, if it is an Oracle application such as EBS or WebLogic, they're specifically listed in the OTN, the Oracle Technology Network License. So you download Java, it triggers the OTN, the OTN says you do not need to purchase an additional license for, and it enumerates WebLogic, uh, EBS, some other things like that. And that's super important and does cause a lot of confusion. And, and then I'm the not... other thing, remember, fear sells. So I'm not surprised that Oracle says, well, one installation will trigger this, right? The reality is there are things that an organization can do to protect themselves against that from a programmatic perspective, from an employee handbook perspective, right? There are steps that you need to take. And then there's the reasonable test. 
You have 100,000 employees, they find one installation. Does Oracle really want to take that to court and really try to push the button on that one? I don't think so. But I can see them saying to you, oh, we find one installation, it's going to trigger this big bill. But you got to make sure that you take the steps to protect yourself and show Oracle that you it didn't, you, under your watch, you did everything possible. So with that then, you know, is it something, do you have to go to the level of blocking Oracle sites, you know, at your firewall so that people literally can't, even if they if they're trying to, they literally can't download. And and I guess is there a is there a scope for you know if you block the Oracle sites now and then they they change or the addresses are different in the future, would that you know give people some some comeback to say look we we took these steps everything was blocked, Oracle decided to change the you know, the URL or the IP address or something, and and then we became exposed again. W would that be anything approaching a defense for, for customers? Well, I, I think we can conjure various scenarios where it reaches the point of near absurdity where you can say there's a legal defense there, okay? And in American law, we have equitable principles by way of example. Uh, we have a doctrine um, that's variously described as impossibility of performance. And this metric flirts with those edges, especially where someone says, I had Price Waterhouse as a consultant at the beginning of the year. They have 30,000 employees. Are you kidding me uh, in terms of, of, of the metric, including uh, Price Waterhouse, by way of example? So there are certainly hypotheticals that you could pose here where you say, if Oracle truly pushed it to that extreme, you may very well have a legal defense uh, in the event that the parties take it that far, because there are aspects of this where you do scratch your head and you, you ask yourself, could it even be viewed as reasonable in a commercial context for all of these employees for a consultant who did a $50,000 project for us. Uh, and now we're on the hook uh, for a Java deployment to Price Waterhouse. And that's just going to turn on um, the, it seems to me, whether ever it, it ever gets tested in the courts in the United States, it's going to turn on the discretion uh, of Oracle. How vigorously do they want to defend this metric? Uh, what message do they want to send out in the market? And, uh, you know, they pick the wrong customer and they end up in court. And this metric could, could, and I want to emphasize the speculative nature, <laughs> that, um, could be tested and and could be subject to some, uh, I'll call it uh, court second guessing as to what they're trying to do here. I don't know, Joel, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's such a good question. Now, let's also remember how this all unfolds. It unfolds in the scope of audits, although Java audits are relatively recent. We've only been seeing those unfold for maybe about a year or so. And then those dreaded soft audits where somebody calls you up, they ask you about it, they get more information, they suck out more information, and then all of a sudden you start getting executable ordering documents for $5 million. But uh, there's a relatively small cast of characters at Oracle that's doing this right now. They are tenacious as all get out. 
and then they're also driven by personalities. They fluctuate. One day you'll get a good offer, the next day you won't, then a quarter ends, and then they withdraw it. And so we talk about this as Oracle as the massive, brutal, litigious beast, which they are, but they're also kind of have Tweedledum and Tweedledee on the front lines who are just ignoring things and letting things go, disappearing for four weeks, coming back later, saying, oh, that's not good anymore. My superiors won't allow that. Now it's seven million. Oh, what? Now calendar day turn. Now it's back down to two million. I mean, the, the idea of one of these actually going up into litigation still seems unlikely to me because they don't want it. And because they don't have this massive wall that they're just mowing down everybody with, they're kind of just insidiously getting in here and then pulling out there and then somebody folds and pays them $5 million and then they're more energized about it. And it's it's been fascinating being on the front lines and watching this unfold basically since they first started discussing it back in September of 2022 or, or arounds. And then as they've kind of gotten more comfortable with it and as the rules are kind of defining themselves, but, but stay tuned. This is a, a week by week, almost minute by minute thing, determining how Oracle is going to enforce it, how clear they're going to be and, uh, uh, and when they're going to pull back. We're just seeing so much contradictory information. Patterns are emerging, but there is no definitive through line that I've seen yet. Right. So, so for people listening, for for customers, it is to some degree kind of you're you know you're almost on your own in terms of you've not got you know years of precedent and and how things have worked. You're everyone's finding their way to the to the end themselves, um, and I think I suppose being proactive as well is a, a key. It's don't wait for Oracle to come to you, you know, have have the data, know what you've got, know what's possible, because I, I guess, you know, th there's nothing worse in a negotiation. You know, if you say, well, do you know what, we'll move off Java and we'll move to a third party. And then, you know, your your CTO says, no, we won't. You know, right. we can't. It's going to take us 12 years and cost us. Eight hundred million dollars. You know, we're, we're going to actually we're going to pay Oracle. You know, you need to know all these things before you get into into the room with them. But uh, back to the basics, right? You should have proactive license compliance monitoring and alerting. You should understand the entitlements you get from the vendor, right? Your contractual obligations are. If you're not monitoring your estate, shame on you when they knock at the door and you get the big audit bill, right? So really you have to proactively look at what you have and how you're deploying it and understand that as we expand into the cloud, you still have a licensing issue. The vendor's still gonna be looking to get paid for their software. So make sure that you understand what you're consuming and, and that you have the proper licenses. Absolutely. Um, actually, you, me you mentioned cloud there and we touched on Oracle Cloud a little bit and we touched on um, you know, Oracle applications that come with Java. There are you know, a variety of cloud services that run on top of Java. Um, are, and obviously, you know, I don't I don't expect an answer that covers everything, but in general, if you're running one of those cloud services that, that sits on top of Java, is that obligation covered by the third party? Or do you have to think to yourself, right, I'm using this service in my Amazon or my Azure. Am I liable for, for some part of this now? 
I mean, I think that's a great question, Rich. And, and it really comes down to how, uh, how that is being consumed, how that service is being consumed, right? If it's a, a true SaaS offering, uh, my guess is probably no, right? Um, unless there's some uh, Java installation that you need to do to, to utilize that SaaS offering. Um, if it's not, if it's if it's otherwise um, where you're setting up the the offering and um, creating another installation, the much much more likely that you would be on the hook for that. And it's become kind of case by case for how the vendors are handling it. A lot of the large vendors um, have reached out to Oracle to get a, a commercial agreement in place to cover the usage with their products. The smaller ones just kicked the burden to the the customers um, and kind of did it in a in a little bit of a quiet way. So. Uh, it definitely doesn't uh, alleviate anything and it and it does become very tricky to to kind of keep up with everything right well, that's that's good to know um so yeah i mean it i suppose yeah, for, for for people in this situation um are there any you know i always like to try and give people some some sort of solid takeaways next steps you know it, i mean mike you made a great point that you know you should know what you've got and, and where um but you know, is this should ITAM be working with legal to you know if you've got in you know if you've got in house counsel or if you use third parties, but you know should they be sitting down and saying right this is the licensing rules these are the contracts we've got let's let's work out our position is is that kind of the the next step for for most people. I think there's a whole bunch of next steps here, right? <laughs> when you really think about it. First, first, most important point. When the vendor starts asking innocuous questions about your deployments, treat that like an audit. Because if you answer the question wrong, it can spiral very quickly out of control. So understand that when the vendor is asking questions, they're searching for revenue. They're shaking the tree. I think that... I think you have to make a business decision. Now, am I going to continue at Oracle or am I going to migrate away from Oracle Java? And that's a financial decision and it's an operational decision. And if I'm moving away from Oracle, what additional steps can I take to protect myself from rogue installations? And then on a larger scale, rogue installations, what am I doing to protect myself about rogue installations about all my other software, right? And so I think there's some real what I call fundamentals, and I'm sure Dean or I could or Joel could add to that. Well, let, let me, and obviously I endorse uh, everything Mike just said, and and I think if we want to put a headline on it, um, we're talking about judgment, and we're talking about judgment in three discrete, separate spaces. There's the business judgment, uh, and there the customer, the client brings its history. It's savvy as to the market, the importance of Java and all that. That's something that the client takes the lead in sorting through. Then there's the technical judgment, uh, a licensed fortress and its models and its SAM and other products where you can go in there and exercise the best technical judgment uh, in light of these changes in Java. And then finally, uh, and equally important, legal judgment. Um, th this stuff is unfolding in a legal context, whether the client customer wants to pay attention to it or not. Oracle has a property. It's defined by intellectual property law. They have contracts and they intend to the best of their ability 
to enforce those contracts. So you need as a customer and as a listener to exercise the best legal judgment in light of that reality. Legal judgment is always important when dealing with Oracle or any other software uh, license vendor. It is particularly becoming acute with regard to Java. It is always begins as a legal discussion because even if there's no lawyers involved, that sales call says you are installed right now and have been for the last two years. We track downloads going back that far. You owe us this amount. And then it gets becomes the sleight of hand. We'll waive the back usage or this amount of the back usage. If you get this going forward, you've already invoked a half dozen very important legal principles that you need to protect yourself from. Are you liable for that past usage? How much did you get a proper waiver for that past usage when you got to an agreement going forward? There's just any number of legal questions that are instantly invoked with Java. And I think that legal is always important. It's super important when dealing with this particular set of acute questions. I think from, from my perspective, it, it the, the takeaways for every customer uh, out there when considering this is, is really simple. One, we talked about that expansive definition of employee. So first off, do you think you can actually put a number to that? If not, take a look at a more concise version of employee in terms of who your full-time employees are. And then just take a quick look at the Oracle price sheet for that. It adds up a lot quicker than many people think. If you have a a large organization, um, you know, it, it could be just 10, 10,000 people. Um, you're looking at about a million dollars, pounds, euros a year based on the list price. If you have a thousand people, um, you're looking at, you know, about $150,000 pounds, euros per year on there. So so that price becomes uh, pretty, pretty big, pretty quickly in there. And then once you do that quick lookup, then make a decision of whether with everything we've just said, you feel comfortable going forward on your own or you want to reach out to some uh, experts who have some help because it is dynamic. It is complicated in there. But at the very minimum, don't be unaware of how much this could cost you as a you know hidden landmine that you're sitting on because a lot of customers have Java. Um, they might have uh, uh, some liability for that Java and they just have no idea because they've been putting their head in the sand for a long time. Yeah, I mean, all great advice and, and great points there. Um, I, I think, you know, th this is something we've seen already, you know, lots of ITAM professionals using this, you know, taking this to CFOs, CIOs, getting that conversation started, which is is great. Um, and sort of thinking through some of the points that, that were made just then and, and earlier, you know, the, I suppose there are two a high level, you know, you either move away from Oracle or you, you stay with Oracle. But I, I think going back to, to what we said near the beginning, if you decide that you're staying with Oracle, even if it's only for, you know, one more time and you think we will move in the future, I, I guess it's making sure that you don't get complacent and think, oh, well, we're staying with Oracle, we're doing what they want, you know, we're going with this expensive metric, because as we said at the top of the, the podcast, you know, the, the murky edges and the who's included, the contractors, just because you've done what they want now and gone with a new metric doesn't mean that they will give you any, you know, uh, 
a special dispensation or, or let you off with anything. So even if you are sticking with Oracle, you still have to do all that work we've discussed to understand what you've got, which people you use. You know, does it impact the way that you do business? You know, if you do have to include all your third party contractors, you know, does that mean that as a business you now look for you know small boutique third parties which only have 27 consultants instead of 8,000, you know, how, what other things do you have to change? I think it's, um, so it's a bigger decision than it, it first looks. Um, and it, it you know, it, it's fascinating that they've, you know, they've made, I think, I mean, what did Oracle, they called it, uh, you know, a simple low cost monthly subscription and <laughs> Which you know, on the face of it, you, you read the headline and you think, "Oh wow, amazing!" Just what I've always wanted. Um, but then, you know, as soon as you you dig into it and you look under the surface, um, there's all manner of things. And and I imagine there'll be more, you know, things that we've not seen happen yet or not anticipated. Um, so I, I I think it's not a particularly positive uh, summation, but I guess really everyone has to be on high alert now and sort of every day in the future even if you move off oracle because as as we said you know if one install does trigger it you you have to be patrolling your your environment forever really um so it, it's a a, fa a very it's a fascinating situation to put your own customers in if you're oracle um, and I and I, I do wonder with the rise of third parties, you know, there's uh, and we, you know, Coretto, Azure, Red Hat, Microsoft have got their their own one. You know, will we see in in three years, in five years? You know, it'd be interesting to get your your final thoughts on this. Actually, do we think that will be a, a significant part of the market, or or do we think that you know there'll there'll be a, a spike in interest? And then the market will, you know, kind of settle back down to its equilibrium, and most people will stay where they are. Uh, it, it's a good question. I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is just going to be kind of wait and see how how it plays out from there. Yeah, and it's the you know usually. I mean, I, I do a lot of work with licensing, and the answer is usually it depends. And I, I think yeah, wait and see is a a great um, sign off for. For, for everything with this really but but yeah I, I think so many great points have been made and you know the, the point around not doing it yourself you know, using people who've seen this before who, who know what's happening very key um because you know IT asset management professionals procurement even i imagine you know in-house council and things you know everyone's very busy already lots of things to do so then something like this raises its head. Can you really give it the attention that you need to? And and I, I do think Oracle and some of the other audit vendors as well, you know, they, they they use that to their advantage where they they know that things will be missed or you know, you'll do things. I know I should read page 97, but I haven't got time. Um, so, you know, use people who... Who have got the time? Who who have already read all the pages? Um, and and I think 
I suppose that you know the, the question is, do they then port your environment, and do you uh, do you have to license them for Java? Will be the question. <laughs> yep. By the way, the vendors know that every so many years the people turn over, right? So even if you successfully pushed Oracle off in the past or a major vendor, four years later when they come back, is it really going to be the same people they're dealing with? Some companies, yes. Majority of companies, people turn over or in new positions, and now it's a new team facing the problem for the first time. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And the vendors know this. Well, and I think that people or companies or whomever are remarkably able to adjust to terrible things. I feel like we're already seeing that at the beginning of the year or even back into 2020, 2021, there was outrage. What? Java? I thought it was free. I thought it was open source. I thought it was this. And then before you know it, it's all of a sudden become a new reality. We have lots of uh, clients who at first they were like, absolutely never, no way are we. And, and then six months later, they're like, yeah, okay, I guess we're going to have to license this after all. I mean, I think it was Machiavelli who said, if you want to uh, beat a populace into submission, don't do it gradually because you're going to get different spikes in outrage. Do it once and be serious about it. And so people will have one burst of outrage and they'll just get used to it again. And so I think we're going to see more of that than we think right now are people who are like, well, I guess this is just the new reality. I guess we'll just have to deal with it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't a myriad of things that you can do to tame it and protect yourself. I'm just predicting, but could be super wrong that the mass exodus never quite seems to happen like you think it will at the edges and probably even measurable, but on a massive scale, people just convince themselves that eh, this is the way it always was. It's not that big of a deal. It's just the way people are. And, and let's not forget how incredibly diverse and different the pool of Oracle customers are. I mean, from businesses, from global enterprises to much smaller. And the point is, is how that very diverse market responds to this remains to be seen. And I dare say, because all negotiations are creatures of the personalities and the times uh, in which uh, the parties are negotiating, somewhere, uh, uh, somewhere, somehow in the process of one particular negotiation, a customer is going to raise its head and say, this is ridiculous. Uh, and especially zeroing in on the uh, consult, the employee count for consultants, and someone's just going to put it front and center and say, we're not going to do that. Um, and then present perhaps a legal challenge, uh, uh, or at least in correspondence, present a threatened legal challenge to that metric. And it alters Oracle's behavior incrementally or maybe in a big way. We just don't know. Uh, but it's out there and you have to decide per our earlier points from a business, technical and legal standpoint, what's going to be your game going into this. Yeah, and I, I think that is a, a a lovely place to to finish. I think there, you know, that sums it up very nicely. Um, the, as always, a wealth of information and insights uh, from from all of you there, and and I, I think hopefully those of you listening, you know, it it's clarified some things. It's given you some points to to address, um, and you know. Really, it's being you know be informed, be proactive, and 
and be ready uh, for for whichever decision you you choose to make. So um, so with that, you know, there, there's there's always more to say about Oracle and Java, but we um, we should we should probably um, you know let let people go and um, do do some work. Um, so so thank you all very much. It's been wonderful to talk to you all again. Thank you all for your insights. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us and for listening to the, today's podcast. And uh, yeah, I will see you all on the next one. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.